Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Epiphany's Podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit epiphanyligonier.org. One of the reasons I wanted to preach to you from the Gospel of Genesis, as we've been doing for almost a year or so now, I wanted to show you that the early church teacher Marcion was really deserving of his title of heretic. Uh, You may remember from way back at the beginning of the series that I told you about Marcion and how he was the first person to try and assert that the Old Testament and the New Testament were different books about different gods. And he taught that the Old Testament God was a God of wrath and the New Testament God was a God of love and we'd be better off ditching the latter for the former. That was Marcion's teaching and he was kicked out of the early church and labeled a heretic for believing such a thing. And some scholars sort of trying to make sense of the situation, uh, they've tried to paint the early church's removal of Marcion as a power play or church politics as a a bad thing. Uh, But at the end of our reading today, I hope to show you that the problem with Marcion was not church politics. It was not ancient power plays for the domination of the Christian institution. Um, I hope through the series to show you, um, particularly today in the fullest way possible, Uh, The reason why Marcin was kicked out of the church was he was an unrepentant idiot. (laughs) I mean, the man was so dumb, he couldn't even read a Bible on tape. He was kicked out of the church for being a moron and not for being a threat. And today I'm going to show you why. We've been in Genesis now for some time. We've been following Joseph now for a few weeks. And Joseph, we know him to be the dreamer. um, But the story began, you'll remember, when his brother sold him into slavery. And it got worse when his master's wife framed him for bedroom indiscretions that he didn't do. Uh, We might even call Joseph a loser at this point if we don't know the ending, because at this point he's sitting in jail. He's rotting away. His life is a total mess. And it's been this way for about 11 years by the time our story kicks in. And last week we read how Joseph the Dreamer helped one of Pharaoh's chief courtroom officers, uh, the cupbearer, He helped Pharaoh's cupbearer navigate a difficult political situation by interpreting the cupbearer's dreams. And so Joseph's only request, you know, in the midst of this was that, hey, cupbearer, I gave you a hand. I helped you out. Could you maybe put in a good word with the Pharaoh for me in a couple of days when you're going to be restored to your position? And sure enough, the cupbearer was restored, but the cupbearer promptly forgot to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. And so Joseph spends another two years waiting in jail uh, for some chance to prove his innocence. And so nobody remembers Joseph. Nobody cares for him. Uh, He's left alone. No one's looking out for him except maybe God. And in fact, that's what's going to happen in our reading today. God is going to uh, put a plan in action that has been brewing now for 13 years. Uh, that things have gone awry for Joseph for 13 years, but things are about to shift gears uh, dramatically. And Joseph's life is going to reverse fortune by 180 degrees. Things are going to be so much different for him in our text today. And so here is what happens next in the life of Joseph. So two years after the cupbearer is restored for his position, 
Pharaoh now is the one who starts to have dreams. And for brevity's sake, I, I shortened the reading, uh, but you can read it in Genesis 41 on your own time. I will tell you what the dream is, and you can follow up from there. The dream is this. Pharaoh dreams about seven cows hanging out by the Nile River. And those are hat, uh, fat and happy cows. And they are grazing along the riverbank as cows of that era tended to do. But from the river, from the river itself, come seven gaunt, creepy, poorly fed, undernourished cannibal cows, zombie cows. They emerge uh, and and eat the fat and happy cows. Um, This was not a pleasant dream. I have never had a dream about cannibal cows, but if I did, I'm sure I would wake up the next morning and think, oh my gosh, that was crazy. And then Pharaoh, after he sort of jolts up out of bed and, and has this dream about cows, he goes back to sleep and he dreams another dream. He dreams something similar. This time it's stalks of wheat and not cows. And some fat and happy stalks of wheat are consumed by some ratty and gaunt stalks of wheat. And so we have these two dreams that come to Pharaoh, similar stories, back to back in the same night. And so it's kind of like Richard Dreyfus and Close Encounters of the Third Time. Remember when he pr- played around with his mashed potatoes at the table and he, he, something happens and he, he builds, you know, whatever, whatever it is, Devil's Peak or whatever. And he says, this, this means something. You know, Pharaoh has these two dreams back to back and he realizes, you know, this dream, these dreams, the the heavens are reaching out to me. This means something for the sake of my life, for my kingdom, for everything. It's very important that I get this dream interpreted. So he puts the dream in front of his ancient scholastic magi types and they can't figure out what's going on either. But the cupbearer, now back at the king's side, realizes, oh shoot, <laughs> I forgot about Joseph. <laughs> And so the cupbearer says, hey, Pharaoh, I'm going to recommend to you a guy. His name is Joseph. He's a Hebrew. Uh, He interpreted my dreams. And so Pharaoh says, sure, uh, bring me Joseph. And so into the prison, they take Joseph out. He's now out of the pit. They give him some fresh clothes and let him shave because, you know, you can't go see the king wearing your ratty prisoner slave clothes. And so Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh. Theoretically, technically, God gives Joseph the interpretation, right? Um, and so he he goes and gives Pharaoh the interpretation of the dream. And he says, look, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. Your dream is a premonition that God is giving you about famine. And in seven years, there's going to be a, a terrible, horrible famine that's going to impact the world. And uh, you have seven years to get ready for it. That terrible famine will last seven years or so. And so if you can get ready, we should start piling away grain now because things are going to get very bad in the future. And and so after Pharaoh receives this interpretation, this is where our text and our reading in our our bulletins today, if you're in church, uh, this is where we picked up in the bulletins today and our reading. Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. And all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only in regards to the throne will I be greater than you. So right off the bat, Pharaoh says, you're in charge of my household. You're in charge of of my family. You're in charge of running all my servants. You're in charge of just managing everything about my household. And because I'm Pharaoh, I have a big household. But he doesn't stop there. He says to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. 
and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah, and gave him in marriage Asnath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And so Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Um, Pharaoh, you see, recognizes that Joseph has the spirit of God in him. After a period of nearly 13 years of slavery and separation from his family and false imprisonment and loneliness, the happy break now arrives for Joseph. And I want to break this down because there's a lot in this passage about what exactly Pharaoh gives Joseph and what all does it mean. And so I'm going to break it down and, and talk about the new job, the new clothes, and the new family. I want to talk about those three things. And that's going to help us understand the reading in its fullness today. So let's talk about Joseph's new job first. Pharaoh is so grateful for Joseph's dream interpretation that he makes him like a grand vizier or something like that, a prime minister of sorts of Egypt. And, you know, that can sound a little far-fetched to us, right? Uh, you know, hi, I just met you. You interpreted my dream. So now you're my new royal advisor. Uh, but remember, everyone in the entire uh, country seemed baffled by the dreams. And Joseph was the only one to actually have a reasonable answer. And you know, if I ran a company and there was somebody under my employ who was able to sort of tell the future and tell me what was going to happen about all my investments and projects that I was working on, I might make them my second in command too if they prove themselves to be trustworthy. And so not only does Joseph get this position because of his sort of future telling prowess, but this is something that Joseph has been training to do his entire life. Let's, let's, point that out. Remember the coat of many colors that Joseph received from his father? Um, that coat was the uniform of a high power ancient executive uh, type. That He received the equivalent of like a three-piece tailor-made Armani suit uh, when he was 17 because he was being groomed to be this leader manager type. And not only was his father teaching him and training him to be this leader and this manager type, but he also had previously managed the household of Potiphar. That was what we read a couple of weeks back. And also, uh, he was so good at being a manager, they let him run the very prison. <laughs> they let him run the very prison that he was staying in. And so with this job that Joseph receives, we have this vocational redemption. Uh, he's been a slave for so long. He's been the target of ire for his brothers, but now he's risen into a position that is perfect for his giftedness and his training. And so we're meant to see that Joseph is a master of management. Like he takes care of all these domestic matters in Egypt. He's raising taxes to fill the grain bins. He's keeping an eye on immigration and he's controlling the grain distribution when the famine eventually does hit. And so there's a sense in which Joseph is finally becoming uh, and entering into the vocational giftedness that he's been working on for 30 years. And so that's Joseph's new job. Certainly something bigger and more prestigious than what he had received if he hadn't been sold into slavery by his brothers. So now let's shift gears and look at Pharaoh's second gift, which was a new set of clothes. And the text, right, as we've been reading through Joseph's story so far, there's a lot that goes on with the fresh set of clothes. Right? Pharaoh, of course, when Joseph goes to see Pharaoh, he shaves his face and gets uh, new robes. But he doesn't just get new robes to go see Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh gives him fresh sets of linen. He gives him a ring and he gives him a big old necklace, right? What do those things mean? Well, in Joseph's story, clothes have played a big part of his life. Up until now, all the clothes that Joseph had that were gifted to him were torn off or stolen from him. The many colored coat, right? The Armani suit, the ancient Armani suit, that was a symbol of his father's love and it was ripped off him and soaked in blood by his jealous brothers. And then there's the coat that he wore as the the head of Potiphar's house. And he had this coat and, and he was wearing it. But, you know, the, 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 the wife of Potiphar, uh, as she wanted to sort of take Joseph and his body for her own carnal lusts, uh, she stole that coat and then took that coat and presu- uh, presented it as evidence that Joseph had, had attempted something immoral. Uh, but now, you see, Joseph has uh, robes from the Pharaoh. And ain't nobody taking those robes off of him. Uh, not unless they want the Pharaoh's wrath. And so you see he's been gifted robes and clothes that aren't going to go away. Not only does he get new robes, of course, but he gets a signet ring. And a signet ring um, is the equivalent of, of the power of attorney, that when there was paperwork to be done, Joseph could take off his ring and pour a little wax on the document and then use the ring and, and press that impressioned ring into the wax and leave the Pharaoh's stamp. It was like uh, it was like Joseph had a bunch of blank checks that Pharaoh had already signed, and he could just write whatever he needed to in there. It was like he had Pharaoh's power of attorney to sign uh, legal documents. So that's a very special ring that he receives, and not only does he get a special ring, but he also gets the bling. He also gets the gold necklace, a large gold necklace, because you know he's important now. And when you're important, apparently in ancient Egypt, you needed a large gold necklace. And so he is given this powerful jewelry. He's given this powerful clothes, right? Whereas clothes used to be a sign of Joseph's humiliation. Now they're a sign of his exaltation. Joseph has this vindication of sorts because people have been beating up on Joseph for, you know, the past 13 years. And now, of course, he is second only to the king, to Pharaoh. He has his royal robes, the signet ring, the wealth. And so the roles have been reversed. No longer is Joseph the slave to somebody else's carnal whims. No one, no longer is he son number 11 out of 12, subject to be hazed and beaten and loathed by his older brothers. Uh, this is redemption for Joseph. And the clothes symbolize that redemption. Uh, that he gets to sort of be in charge and no one can come at him anymore. And so that's what the new clothes mean. So Pharaoh gives him a new job that fits his vocation. He gives him a new clothes that fit his um, sort of status and redeem his past and all the powerless uh, uh, messes that he's been in. And now, of course, Joseph gets a third gift. Uh, gift number three, the third thing he receives from Pharaoh is a new family. Right? The, we, we know for, at the beginning of the story, Pharaoh knows that Joseph is a Hebrew. And in fact, you know, it was the ancient practice. If you were Hebrew, you tended to grow your beard out, right? It's kind of a thing that happens in the land of Canaan. That was the the region. Beards were in style. Not in Egypt, however. In Egypt, everyone was clean shaven. Me and my beard, we are not welcome in Egypt. We needed to shave if we were ancient Egyptians. And so not only does Joseph have to shave his face when he goes before Pharaoh, but he gets new Egyptian clothes on top of that, right? And and Pharaoh knows this, right? That that Joseph is a Hebrew, 
But by the end of our reading today, we, we see that something else has taken place because he gets Egyptian clothes and now he's got Egyptian face stylings. And, you know, if you see the church email that I sent out, there's a really fun image where um, Joseph is reflected in a stained glass window as wearing a nemes, a N-E-M-E-S, which is that really uh, uniquely Egyptian headpiece that you see on a lot of um, mummy tomb sarcophagi. And you see them, uh, you know, that hat that Egyptian pharaohs typically wear. Um, In this particular piece of stained glass, Joseph is wearing that hat. And I thought that was really remarkable because He's wearing Egyptian clothes. He's got an Egyptian hat. And then he's given an Egyptian name, which is very hard to pronounce. But then he's also given an Egyptian wife in marriage too, Azanath, um, who's the daughter of one of the Egyptian high priests. And so what we need to see here is that Pharaoh had kicked, uh, had, had excuse me, what we need to see here, <clears throat> what we need to see here is that Joseph's family kicked him out of the land of Canaan. Right, And so in some sense, his brothers, by kicking him out and selling him into slavery, they, they removed him from the family. They disowned him. He may have been disowned by his own family, but now Pharaoh is welcoming him into a new family. He is no longer friends. Joseph is no longer Hebrew. Um, he is Egyptian. Um, right? That, that By all accounts, he's got the language, he's got their culture, he's got a new name, he's got a prestigious family pedigree, he's got a job high up in the government, he's got an Egyptian wife, um, he's got all of these things. And so in this moment, we see that Joseph is not sort of culturally from the land of Canaan anymore. He has fully embraced, he has fully embraced uh, this role of Egyptian. That doesn't mean, however, that he's accepted Egyptian religion. We'll talk about that in a moment here. Joseph is still keeping his relationship with the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and that's important because Joseph knows that he certainly wasn't Osiris or On or Anubis or Ra or any of those other Egyptian deities who were passing along dream interpretations to him. And so even though Joseph does sort of get a new family and he gets these things that were lost to him returned, he still knows that at the end of the day, It is God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of his forefathers, who is orchestrating all of these events. And sure enough, after all the gifts are given to Joseph, everything comes to pass as God had shown. Uh, Across seven years, Joseph goes to every village and town. He travels across the nation. He sets up storehouses. He fills them full of grain for the lean days to come. And then the lean days do come. The seven-year famine arrives. And when Egypt runs out of food and the people are starving, it's Joseph who saves the nation. Literally, he saves the nation and even the rest of the world by opening the stores of grain to keep everyone from starving. And so this is a very happy ending for Joseph. Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery, and he was 30 when he became Pharaoh's viceroy. Um, That is 13 years of waiting for God's movement to happen. But Joseph doesn't seem to mind, right? In his reading, he has two. In the reading today, we meet two of his children, one named Manasseh, whose name means God has made me forget all my hardship and my father's house, (laughs) right? He hasn't forgotten it literally. He just, these troubles of the past trouble me no more. That's what Manasseh means. And so, so, 
not only does he name the one child Manasseh, meaning God has blessed me so much that my past doesn't matter anymore. He names the second one Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Um, so Ephraim's name means this was the land that broke me, but God has made me fruitful here nonetheless. So all of this to say um, that Joseph is doing okay. He has not given himself over to Egyptian cultic worship of pagan gods, despite the fact that his daughter, or his wife, is the daughter of an Egyptian high priest. But the the hardship only confirmed Joseph's faith in the God of his ancestors, right? Egyptian culture, language, job, dress, yes, count Joseph in, but Egyptian religion, not so much. So let me return now to my original charge, that Marcion. The heretic who wanted to toss out the Old Testament was an idiot. Maybe you saw it in our reading today, but if you didn't, I'm going to make it as clear as I can now. Joseph's story up to now, if we are going to... Joseph's story up till now goes something like this. We have the story of the father's favorite who was betrayed by his brothers, sold into captivity for silver, accused falsely of wrongdoings, and sent into the pit. His clothes were taken away from him, and he was left alone and left for dead. Another tragedy of a broken and sinful world. Have you ever heard of a New Testament story in which someone is beloved by his father, betrayed by his brothers, sold into captivity for silver, falsely accused of wrong and sent into a pit. His clothes are taken away from him. He was imprisoned, left alone, and left for dead. Another tragedy of a broken world. But you see, it doesn't stop there because Joseph is vindicated. He proves himself to be righteous because of his relationship with God. So he's raised from the pit, seated at the right hand of the king, and given the king's power and authority over all the kingdom. He sheds the notion that we must be exclusively one ethnicity or nationality to serve God, and he finds that all his past troubles were worth the present glory on the other end, and then Joseph saves the world. I think you'll know at this point that there is a New Testament character, Jesus Christ, who is also vindicated. Jesus proves himself to be righteous in relationship with his God. So God raises him from the pit, sits him at his right hand, and gives Jesus power and authority to rule and judge the world as he sees fit. Jesus then sheds the notion that it must be exclusively one ethnicity or nationality that serves God, finds that all of his past troubles were worth the glory on the other side, By then, of course, Jesus Christ has also saved the world. Do you catch how the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus repeat uh, beat for beat? There's so much overlap in the stories that they give to us. Um, This is what scholars call a typology, meaning that Joseph is in the same category as Jesus. He's uh, He's of a type like Jesus in the Old Testament. Because his life and Jesus' life have striking similarities. And the reason that is, the reason why Joseph's story is so close uh, close to what we see in Jesus' story, is that God wanted people to read Genesis and be prepared to recognize the saving work of God in Bethlehem because they saw it happening in Egypt first. Let me explain that to you again. Let me say that one more time here. God wanted people to read the book of Genesis and be prepared to recognize the saving work of God 
as it happened in Bethlehem, was also like the saving work of God that happened in Egypt. We are meant to read the story of Joseph and to take everything we can from that story and prepare our hearts by recognizing the same God at the heart of Joseph's story is the same God at the heart of Jesus' story. And make no mistake, people need to be prepared in the ancient world and the modern world, but in the ancient world, people needed to be prepared for the ministry of Jesus. It was so counterintuitive to the culture of the ancient world, people just, you know, flat out rejected it for years. They still do, in fact. But for people who knew and trusted that the God of Joseph was their God, for people who knew that God was active in this way and would save people like he saved Joseph, well, Jesus's ministry just makes so much more sense. I'll give you an example. I'll give you three very quick examples and I'll finish. Um, this is an example that makes sense of modern times too, right? Most people, ancient and modern, expect God to bless good people and curse bad people. It's like God is some great cosmic accountant in the sky, uh, paying people back for the good that they do, but cursing them when they're bad. Most people, ancient and modern, think that God is like this. But in Joseph's story, we see the opposite thing happen. And in Joseph's story, we see a relatively good and innocent person thrown into the pit. And it's only after 13 years of being in the pits that he is raised and vindicated. And so if you know Joseph's story, the story of a crucified and risen savior who suffers before he's exalted, just, it makes sense. So no, we do not say that our earthly life is defined by, you know, divine karma. Joseph suffered tremendously. Jesus suffered tremendously. I certainly hope the Lord spares you that kind of same suffering as Joseph and Jesus. Jail sounds awful. Crucifixion sounds worse. But bad things happening to you are not a representative of your relationship with the divine. And we see that in Joseph's story. We see it in Jesus' story too. And here's another example. Most people think that God is active and most available to be met in high places like mountaintops or tall church steeples. But in Joseph's story, God is working through Joseph in the pit, in jail, in the lowest of low places, which in turn prepares for us to see that God is at work when Jesus is hanging on a cross, the lowest of low, the shameful of most shameful. God's involvement, right, to help um, the, the, the interpretation of the dream comes from an immigrant prisoner in jail for allegedly making moves on a noblewoman. It doesn't get any lower than that, unless, of course, your helps come in the form of a crucified Hebrew carpenter. And so we counterintuitively say, like that cheesy footprints poem, just because it's cheesy doesn't mean it's wrong, that God's office is not at the top of our escalators, but at the end of our ropes. And that suffering is not proof that God is not around. One more, th and we're done. Most people think the Christian life is one of progression, that you get better and better at what you're doing until you're just great at it. But in Joseph's story, we find it uh, a man whose life gets worse and worse and worse. You know, if Joseph's stock was, um, you know, on a graph, the arrow would be pointing down and to the right. You'd sell it, you'd get rid of it, you wouldn't want a piece of it. If Joseph's life was like a slide, you take your kids to that playground because it would be steep and fast and fun on the way down for everyone except Joseph. If, Joseph life, if Joseph's life was a ski slope, it'd be black diamond. It'd be downhill, fast, and it would not be easy. That is until God pulls the trigger on something better and more redemptive. 
But Jesus's ministry is the same way. It's not just up and up and up and better, better, better. Sometimes the crowds engage and there are multitudes of people listening and following along. And sometimes the crowds get mad and leave and nobody comes. And sometimes the crowds call for his coronation to make him king. And then six days later, they call for his crucifixion, which is to say that God's providence is not a slow, steady climb to victory, like making gains at the gym or climbing a corporate ladder. God's providence can feel sometimes like the old board game of shoots and ladders. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. It's not as cut and dry as progression, which is frustrating beyond belief. But the reality is that everyone will eventually cross the finish line. So friends, I'll tell you what I told you, which is that Marcion's an idiot. Here, as we approach the end of our time in the book of Genesis, we see the fullness of Jesus's life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension on full display in the life of Joseph. And anyone with two eyes and half a brain can see the link between God's interventions in Joseph's life and God's interventions in Jesus' life. Um, And so we can be grateful today that a happy ending has arrived for Joseph, the man who dreams, like there was a happy ending for Jesus, whose resurrection from the dead uh, rose him to the highest of heights. But there's still one more question on the table, one more thing that hasn't been solved, one more lingering and unfinished story to be told. What do you think would happen if Joseph, the viceroy of Egypt, the second in command, the one to whom all knees but one bow, what what did you think would happen if Joseph met his brothers now? With all the power in the world, with all the might in the world, the strongest empire, the strongest nation at his beck and call, how might he respond? What's the story for next week? But in the meantime, friends, take comfort. The God who raised Jesus from the dead is the God who raised Joseph from the pit, is the God who made heaven and earth, is the God who will forgive you your sins, is the God who will fix the world. They are all one and the same. Thanks be to God. Amen. Pennsylvania.